creative babble. Throw him to the ground and get his devils out! When I first started this podcast, I reported on a secretive church located in the foothills of Western North Carolina called the Word of Faith Fellowship. The church is accused of being a cult and separating families, forcing them to break ties with non-believers. One teenager named Matthew Fenner pressed charges against five church ministers because he said they beat the gay demons out of him. And that's just the beginning. Several former members reported being forced into isolation in what is now known as the lower building. Some male congregants say they lived in this makeshift storage unit for over a year, but perhaps they're best remembered for their signature style of prayer. It's known as blasting. As you can hear in the secret audio recording, blasting is a form of deliverance meant to cast out the devil. It has been reported that crying babies were often held down and yelled at until the devil released a grip on the child. I've experienced blasting firsthand. In 2018, I was personally invited by the church leader, Jane Whaley, to spend a day at the Word of Faith Fellowship. While interviewing her in her office, Jane Whaley looked straight into my eyes, opened up her mouth, and began shouting. It was terrifying. To this day, it still gives me chills. Many say that the church is a cult, but those inside say they're simply misunderstood. Jane Whaley denies all abuse allegations. She once wrote to me and said, No children have ever been abused in our church. It's just the opposite. Everyone is greatly loved. She claims that all the negative media attention is merely religious persecution. Her supporters are quick to remind everyone that the Word of Faith Fellowship is a positive force for the community. For example, the church's prison ministry allows inmates to visit their services. They take pride in their racial diversity. And I can attest to that. When I attended the Word of Faith Fellowship service, I was taken back by the different faces sitting in the pews. There were members from Brazil, Sweden, Cuba, all across the globe. Remember, they're located in an overwhelmingly white part of North Carolina. It's been two years since I finished my 11-part series on the Word of Faith Fellowship. Since then, I've been flooded with emails asking me to give them an update. They want to know, have there been any new abuse allegations? Have the church leaders faced any criminal charges? Is Jane Whaley still running the church? Today, I plan to answer some of these questions. I'm Javier Leva, and this is Pretend. Stories about people pretending to be someone else. If you haven't listened to my series titled The Prophet, I suggest you start there first. Trust me, this episode will make a lot more sense. I'll have a link to the series in the show notes. This update episode will cover a lot, so bear with me. I've been recording interviews for an entire year. So many things have happened that it's really hard to pick exactly where to start. But I think the best way to tell this story is to follow the progress of the COVID-19 virus. In January 2020, the World Health Organization announced a mysterious coronavirus coming out of Wuhan, China. By February, the virus continued to spread, 
Killing Two People in Washington State and Spreading Quickly Throughout Europe and Asia. By March, the WHO declared COVID-19 a pandemic. North Carolina, where the Word of Faith Fellowship is located, confirmed more than 300 cases. And by the end of March, the virus claimed more than a thousand lives here in the U.S. We all remember how this all started. The unknown was terrifying. North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper issued an executive order banning the gathering of 10 or more people and closed down businesses, gyms, movie theaters, bars, but not places of worship. Under the governor's orders, churches had to limit their indoor attendance to 10 people or less. Many churches started to improvise and broadcasted their service over the internet, but some churches disregarded every warning. In late March, I received a screenshot of a church-wide text message from Pastor Jane Whaley. Here's what she wrote, quote, This is Grandma Jane. By the way, Jane Whaley likes to be called Grandma. The text says, This is Grandma Jane. I personally do not feel we have anything to worry about with the virus by coming to the church, unquote. The text goes on to say, Tomorrow, everyone must use the front entrance. There will be men directing you where to park. Please carpool. In other words, it was business as usual at the Word of Faith Fellowship. That's when everything started to fall apart. It's now April 2020. Nancy, how's it going? It's insane. Yeah. It's fucking insane. I've been getting emails from listeners from Rutherford County just really worried about it. Well, they have a reason to be worried, man. It never, ever strikes anybody to do the right thing until it impacts their life. We've been trying to get this out there for how long? And now everybody's like, holy shit, it really is impacting me. You may remember Nancy Burnett's voice from earlier episodes. Nancy was never a member of the Word of Faith Fellowship. She was a court-appointed guardian at Lightham, whose job was to represent children going through custody battles. Since then, she's taken it upon herself to advocate for former members and provide refuge to members trying to get out of the church. In April of last year, Nancy Burnett was alarmed at the rapid spread of COVID-19 around her area. This is what's fucking scary. Yeah. We've confirmed there's a huge number of, of cases in there. And I'm going to give you one example. Remember, Word of Faith Fellowship members tend to live together in multifamily homes. Nancy points to one Word of Faith Fellowship household who she says has a cluster of cases. There's three nurses that live there. All of them are positive. There's 12 people that live in that house. So all of them are suspected cases. So these people who are coming into this county, to these businesses, and knowingly bringing it in is where the shit fucking spreads. We know more about the virus today, but back in April, everyone was alarmed. I mean, you remember the toilet paper aisle at the supermarket, right? People who still had family inside the church frantically called Nancy, hoping to get any news about their loved ones. I have a lady that just got off the phone with me literally two seconds before you called me. Her mom is still in there, and she was panicked. So she called the police, and she was like, I need to know if my mom is okay. She's like, you know, I'm worried. She's not responding to me. I need to know if she's alive. And then the screenshot of Jane Whaley's text encouraging members to attend church in person started to spread all over Facebook. It was even posted in a Facebook group called Citizens Against Corruption and Abuse. The community was outraged. The last service that's documented there was March the 26th, and that was the last day of school as well, March the 26th. Do you know if they're still having service? No. They're fucking underground now, man. No. We've closed them. Then, the inevitable happened. 
On April 9th, 2020, Rutherford County reported its first death. It was a Word of Faith Fellowship member named Lauren Martinez. The guy that died, the guy that died did not want to go, and they made him. He reached out to his fucking brother in Montana for help because he was that sick. And his brother reached out and said, my brother's sick. You need to take him to the hospital. When they got him there, it was too fucking late. So the one death is from Word of Faith? Yes. The next morning, I called Nancy Burnett again. Since we talked yesterday, shit went crazy last night. It's been insane. Tell me what's going on. His brother reached out to us last night. Saturday at 10.58 p.m., he said, My name is Lance Martinez. Lauren was my brother. As you can imagine, our grief in losing Lauren literally takes our breath away. And he said, This is absolutely horrific. Thank you for confirming. I said, may I ask what your family was told about him? And he said, we weren't told anything from the church. We knew it was coronavirus from the beginning. He didn't necessarily reach out for help, but we were in heavy communication with him up to his admission to the hospital. So basically, whenever he first reached out to them, he wasn't very sick. That's what I gathered from that last comment. Yeah. He wasn't very sick. But he knew he was sick. Yes. Yeah. Yes, but this is my question. Why didn't they say, hey, this guy has a fever, he's sick. Let's not bring him to the church until we confirm that he's okay. Jane didn't do that. We know certain things. So we know that he knew that he was sick because he communicated that to his family. And we also know that Jane directed everybody to go to church when it was clear that it was dangerous to gather in public? Well, the people inside the church said he was absolutely forced to attend. And when he got there, he was forced to get up and talk about his, him being weak and not having faith in God to keep him safe and all that good stuff. That came from a source inside, but we can't burn him right now because they're still in there and she's afraid. There's actually two people that we're talking to right now. And according to what we've been told, because they know that information that we're posting is accurate, they freaking confiscated cell phones recently. Then the next day, a second Word of Faith Fellowship member reportedly died due to COVID-19-related respiratory problems. Let me ask you about the second death that happened this morning. The church is saying that it was not a COVID-19, that it was maybe a heart attack, cardiac arrest. Yeah, congestive heart failure or something. So how how do you know that it was COVID? Because the county health department confirmed it whenever they listed the second death as a COVID-related death. And she's right. The second COVID-19-related death in Rutherford County was indeed a Word of Faith member. So last time we spoke, there was two deaths. And then I think you texted me and said that there was a third death. Has that been confirmed? Yeah. How many total? There's, we know for sure three. And in the whole county, there's only six? Yeah. It is absolutely out of control there. And the health officials are aware of that. As you can imagine, this set off a small panic. Even though the church members isolate themselves from others, that doesn't mean they don't interact with the community. In fact, many members of the Word of Faith Fellowship own businesses and deal with the general public daily. Some own restaurants, others own retail stores. The attention quickly turned to church member-owned businesses. They own a business, two businesses. 
in Cleveland County where I live. And one of the workers reached out to us and she was like, I don't know what to do. I'm scared. I've been around these people and I fear for my safety, my son's safety. She started asking them questions, right? Mm -hmm. They're not a fucking essential business. They're not. It's a bin store. It is a bin store. They build these huge wooden bins and they just dump a bunch of shit in there. And they let people come in in massive numbers and just finger fuck it all. There's no gloves. There's no nothing. People just come in and everything is like $5 one day, $3 one day, $2 until they refill it. Remember, this interview was recorded last year at the beginning of the pandemic. Things were a little different back then. The only stores allowed to open were gas stations, convenience stores, grocery stores. The government called these places essential businesses. Well, because they were are not an essential business, they got this brilliant idea. Hey, let's find some fucking outdated food. We'll fill these bins up with it and call it a day. So that's what they did. They filled the fucking bins up with this out-of-date food and they let them stay open. I've never visited these bin stores. Plus, the store we're talking about just recently opened, so I can't prove one way or the other if they sold canned goods. Anyway, Nancy started getting calls from employees who worked at the bin stores. This girl I talked to, she wants to remain anonymous because she's afraid for her life. She's afraid for her safety. She said they're paying the Mexicans under the table. They have Brazilians working there again with no visa. They're working children underage there. I'm like, Jesus Christ, they didn't fucking learn anything from the federal shit. They don't care. I want to be clear. What Nancy Burnett is talking about here is secondhand information. She has many contacts both in and outside the church. I can't prove any of it. But one thing is true. In the past, the church has been accused by 16 Brazilians of human trafficking and forced labor. The store employee who called Nancy Burnett told her that she was fired because she felt that the store owners weren't taking the proper precautions. She questioned shit. He fired her. Hmm. And so yesterday, she reached out to him. She basically said, look, I didn't quit. You fired my ass because I was worried about my safety. Being around all you sick people, knowing that you had it, blah, blah, blah. Well, he responds. Yeah, we did have it, but we were taking the appropriate precautions. We did everything with the with the health department, so on and so on. So it was a lie. I, I really thought, let me tell how to get, because you don't give a fuck. I mean, you don't have bosses to answer to and shit. So I looked up the cases in Rutherford County. There's 40 cases right now, doubling every five days. Nancy Burnett, along with other concerned citizens who I spoke with, including a local doctor, called the Rutherford County Health Director. The health director finally responded to the public demand. Karen Powell said, and I quote, we do not have any outbreaks in a congregate living situation. Where is Jane right now? Nobody fucking knows. Nobody knows. Well, you know, she's at risk, right? She's not a spring chicken. That bitch, nothing's going to kill her. She eats formaldehyde. I'm sure it runs through her veins. A few days later, rumors started to spread that Jane Whaley herself came down with COVID-19. So I called Nancy Burnett to get more information. Hey, so tell me, what's going on with Jane? So what do you know? What's the latest? Well, the only thing that we know is what we found out yesterday. And we got a second confirmation today, but there's still no actual physical proof. There's people all over the county out there that have posted today that she's in the hospital. 
We have been told by very credible sources, we just have no physical proof right now, but we've been told that she showed up at the hospital yesterday, went in alone, and that she was admitted to ICU. So I asked Butch Maltby, who's their unofficial PR spokesperson, and he said that it is false. She's not in the hospital. And then I said, can you substantiate those claims? And he said, just take my word for it. Butch Malby, by the way, is the unofficial spokesperson for the church. You didn't hear from him in the previous series, but trust me, he's become a big player at the Word of Faith Fellowship, and you'll hear from him later in this episode. But back to Jane's whereabouts. Rumors of Jane Whaley's health started spreading. So in order to reassure the public and reporters like me, the church posted a picture of a blonde woman standing behind the pulpit with her back faced to the camera. And what, what do you think about the new picture that they posted of Jane? I think it's altered. I think it, look at it. Look at it closely. Screenshot it, pull it in, and look at the shadows in the front where there's nobody fucking standing. It's obviously an, an edited photo. It doesn't have legitimate timestamps. It doesn't have shit on it. So, it's whatever. I can't tell if the photo has been manipulated. But one thing is for sure. I can't say that the woman standing behind that podium is Jane Whaling. The back of someone's head is an odd angle to prove someone is alive and well. The next day, I called Nancy again to see if there was any news. What's the news on Jane? There is no news on Jane. Has anybody seen her? There is no news. Here's the thing you don't know. After my 11-part series on the Word of Faith Fellowship ended, my relationship with the church dramatically changed. Even though I was invited inside the church and was allowed to speak with Jane Whaley, the mood was cold and tense. But after my series wrapped up, suddenly they became very friendly. Specifically, Butch Maltby. Butch and I have had frequent phone calls the last couple of years. He's enjoyable to talk to. In fact, I could speak with Butch for hours. He's smart, he's savvy, and he knows how to talk to reporters like me. Butch even offered to drive three and a half hours to where I live to have some coffee. I kindly declined. But let me tell you about Butch. Butch Maltby worked at an advertising and communication agency that served evangelical media ministries around the country. He was also the vice president for Pat Robertson's Christian Broadcasting Network. Butch Maltby isn't your run-of-the-mill Word of Faith Fellowship member. In fact, he's only been there for a few years. So one can't help but wonder about the timing of things. Here you have a church that obviously has a PR problem, and their only way to respond to criticism is to either sue or retreat. Suddenly... This guy, who is a PR machine for the Christian right, happens to find a church in the middle of nowhere. Hmm, coincidence? But if you ask Butch, he's just a guy sitting in the pews, not the church's one-man band PR department. So I scheduled an interview with Butch Maltby to see if any of the rumors were true. Is there an outbreak of COVID-19 at the Word of Faith Fellowship? Are church-owned businesses super spreaders? Is Jane Whaley, who is in her early 80s, infected with the virus? So I called Butch. I can't take your call right now, but it's important to me. Leave the name, time, and purpose of your call, and I'll get back to you as quickly as possible. Have a great and blessed day. Hi, Butch. This is Javier with Pretend. I was just calling because we had a... Butch stood me up, but that's okay. I called him back. Hey, Butch. It's Javier with uh, Pretend. How's it going? I'm Javier. I'm in a meeting uh, right now. Can, can I get back to you? Yeah. You promise to get back to me, though? Uh, I, I I don't do anything unless God tells me to. So I'm in a meeting <laughs> right now. All right, man. Okay. Get back to me. Take care. Bye. 
Here's Nancy Burnett again. Why did he back out from talking to you? Do you have a reason? Oh, he's very busy. I texted him just right before I called you, and I said, hey, I'm free now. He goes, oh, I'm in a meeting. But you know what? If Jane really wanted people to know that her ass wasn't in the hospital, she would make a comment herself. Yeah. She would call you and say, look, Javier, you know what? This is all bullshit. I'm fine. She's not. Keep in mind, all this was recorded in April 2020, almost a year ago. Jane Whaley was missing in action. Was she sick? No one knew for sure. There were no sightings of her. Then, the word started spreading that Jane Whaley was dead. When we come back, the search for Jane Whaley. Plus, things are about to get a little ugly. The church says an active shooter broke into the home of Jane Whaley's closest confidant. It's hard to report what's happening inside the church because they're closed off from the public. Current members aren't allowed to speak to the media or anyone outside the church. It makes it impossible to verify anything. A few days go by and my sources had not seen or heard from Jane Whaley. Are the rumors true? Is she dead? If so, what is the future of the Word of Faith Fellowship? To tamp down the rumors, the church released another surveillance image from inside the church's sanctuary with a woman at the podium who appeared to be Jane Whaley. But honestly, this could have been anyone. It's a second photo of the back of a blonde woman's head, for God's sakes. That didn't quiet the whispers going around town. In fact, it was the first time I seriously considered something was wrong. We'll get back to Jane Whaley's health in a minute, but first, let's talk about the community's reaction to all this. The rumors started spreading on social media. On Facebook, some in the community expressed their anger. One post read, Could we just lock up the Word of Faith compound and burn it to the ground with them inside? Another social media post said, Burn the place to the ground. Show her the devil. And then another one wrote, If I had money and I knew where she lived, I would set her house on fire. The Facebook page called Citizens Against Corruption and Abuse didn't have any posts promoting violence. Instead, they took a different approach. The Facebook page posted a list of church member-owned businesses that the administrators felt were endangering the community by violating the governor's orders. This is the third or fourth person that has reached out to us saying, hey, you know what, these people are threatening to sue us posting shit on the page. A few months later, the company that runs the bin store we spoke about earlier filed a federal lawsuit against Nancy Burnett and three other people. The complaint says that the posts on Facebook were made to damage, defame, and destroy the church members' businesses. The lawsuit claims that the business suffered a significant loss in revenue, more than $75,000. But Nancy Burnett says she doesn't run the Facebook page. They speculate. They have no idea who runs it. They have no clue who runs that page. They speculate, and that's about it. I'm not worried about anything that I say. What I say is the truth, and as long as it's the truth, I'm fine. I don't have anything to hide. As far as the comments that I make about them, I mean, it's just truth. The federal lawsuit was eventually dismissed and moved to a state court. Nancy Burnett says that the lawsuit is just an intimidation tactic and that her posts were a form of freedom of speech. Meanwhile, things were heating up in Spindale, North Carolina. A former member of the Word of Faith Fellowship allegedly broke into the home of Brooke Covington. If you remember, Brooke Covington is one of the ministers charged with kidnapping and beating a gay teen. She's also considered Jane Whaley's unofficial adopted daughter. 
On April 26, 2020, the church claims that Stephen Cordes broke into the Covington's home armed with a pistol. This is the same home that Stephen Cordes lived in before he escaped. So he's very familiar with the interior of the house. They claim they found Stephen hiding in a closet all the way up in the third floor. I called Nancy Burnett to see what she knew about the incident. There was no fucking shooter. There's no fucking shooter. There's no fucking shooter. So what happened? What, no. do you, what's the inside story? The inside story is this kid had been trying for weeks to reach out to them to tell them how his family was. He knew that people were dying inside there. And he said his last memory was that he smoked a blunt. And after that, that for waking up inside Brooks' house on the fourth story, as high up in the fucking house as you can go, nobody knows if that gun was in his damn pocket when he went into the house. Nobody even knows how he got in the house. I think you know well enough that these people are packed with cameras and shit. How did he make it down the road into the house? Into a three-story house? Stephen Cordes told the AP that he doesn't remember how he got into the house. And he says that the gun was in his car, not on him. And he was in this closet. Had no idea how he had gotten there. He realized where he was and he started to run away. As he ran away, they chased him, took him outside, beat the shit out of him, and restrained him until the police got there. I requested a copy of the police report. It's heavily redacted. Even the description of the incident is edited. I also have a copy of the 911 transcript. That, too, is redacted. According to the 911 call, there was no property damage. The operator asked the caller, Daniel Matos, if the gunman was still there. And he said yes. We took the gun from him. Someone is holding him down. The caller says someone spotted Stephen walking into the home. After a quick search, they found Stephen upstairs, dragged him out of the closet, and pushed him down the stairs. Then the operator asked if the gunman had hurt anyone. The caller said no but said that Stephen Cordes appeared to be under the influence and rambling and talking incoherently. The police report does indicate that Cordes did have controlled substances on him. Maybe this could explain why Stephen Cordes claims he doesn't remember anything. I can only speculate. What the caller failed to tell the operator was that Stephen Cordes was roughed up. This is all their account. This is all their account of what happened. Mm Mm-hmm. He's pretty bruised up. They they zip-tied him, Javier. They zip-tied him. And then they beat his ass. I don't believe it happened the way they said. They got him good. They beat the shit out of him. They beat the shit out of him. Nancy does acknowledge that Stephen Cordes was angry. He's not just a former member who decided to leave the church. She says he's a victim of that place. Nancy claims that the church members took his innocence and separated him from his family. This kid's a fucking victim of that place. He was raped in there. Before the gun incident, there were signs that Stephen Cordes was feeling agitated. He just pulled a, a post from a citizen's page to his page. And he said, if anything help happens to my family inside there, so help me. He didn't say anything that was violent. He didn't say anything that was threatening, period. He sent Jane a text in the weeks past that said he, he can't wait till she's dead. And that he hopes that she dies a miserable death. That's not hate speech. People say that shit all the time. If not, I'm going to kill you. I'm coming to your house to kill you. If I wish you were dead or I hope you die. There's a big difference there. It's been a few weeks since there was a Jane Whaley sighting. What's the latest on on Jane? Have they seen her lately or no? Yeah. So what we believe happened is Jane got it. And she probably was 
in the hospital. She probably was in very, 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 very dire critical shape. And they probably did treat her with it. And she pulled through. And I can say for sure that Jane Whaley is alive and well. A few months later, she was spotted at a march for former President Donald Trump. Here's audio of the Word of Faith Fellowship members singing joyfully and holding up signs that said, Stop the Steal. Here's Jane Whaley yelling, God is on our side. been to 61 rallies. And in February 2020, right before the pandemic got really out of control, there's a video of Word of Faith Fellowship members all huddled around Donald Trump with their hands on his shoulders, praying with their heads down. When we come back, we're going to switch gears and talk about the Word of Faith Fellowship power and influence on local media, elected officials, and their connection inside the Oval Office. John, it's Javier. Long time no talk. Yeah, how are you? Pretty good, man. How's everything on out where you are? Everybody healthy? Everybody doing all right? Yeah, the numbers in this county, it's not a very big county, but the numbers in this county are actually starting to go down. Here's John Huddle, one of the church's most outspoken former members. I called John to catch up on some Word of Faith Fellowship news that I may have missed. One of the biggest stories I didn't cover last time was the Word of Faith Fellowship's full-throated support for Donald Trump. And I usually try to steer clear from politics on this podcast. So save your emails about the show getting political, because I'm not. You can't tell the story about the Word of Faith Fellowship in 2020 without mentioning the former president. They adore him. Dare I say, idolize him. Look at those women. They follow me all over the place. Look at them back there. Look at them. See those women? They're very wealthy women from North Carolina. And I saw them two rallies ago. But there are like 10 of them, and they follow. And I said, how many is it so far? They said, 61. I said, you mean you've gone to 61 rallies? Then did you see? There is a January 6th picture of a Word of Faith sympathizer with the guy in the horns. Oh, with the, with the shaman? Yeah. <laughs> no, I did not know that. Yeah. John Hutto is referring to the Capitol insurrection. I found the picture he was talking about on the Instagram account Waff Edits. I see the the QAnon shaman, the you know guy with the furry hat and the and the horns, yeah. and he's with this woman. Um, I'm guessing is La Briska Hall Davis. Who is she? Ramona Hall and Wayne Hall have been members of Word of Faith for years. So Briska went to Word of Faith school and left the church, but still sympathizes. She wears shirts to say. Word of I vote I support Word of Faith. It's so interesting because when we last spoke about this, like on my show, it was about their influence on local government and what a tight control they had over you know law enforcement and and the politicians there. And then now, I mean, it almost seems like they have direct ties to Washington. 
not anymore because it's the outcome of the election, but it seems they scaled up their influence. Mark Meadows ties to Word of Faith. Yes, that Mark Meadows, Trump's chief of staff. Before working in the White House, Mark Meadows served in the U.S. Congress for North Carolina's 11th Congressional District, the same district where the Word of Faith Fellowship is located. Mark Meadows was not a member of the church, but his wife, Debbie Meadows, has been frequently spotted rubbing elbows with current members of the Word of Faith Fellowship. So if you want to know what the connection is, it's more with his wife, at least publicly. The church's relationship with Washington raised a few eyebrows. For example, in 2020, the Word of Faith Fellowship obtained between $150,000 and $350,000 through the Paycheck Protection Program, otherwise known as PPP loans. The PPP loans were meant to provide financial help to small businesses struggling with COVID-19-related shutdowns, but plenty of wealthy megachurches have been helping themselves to the free government money. When asked if the church's support for Donald Trump had anything to do with their qualifying for the government loan, the church's attorney said, and I quote, The church applied and qualified for the payroll protection plan loan through its local bank, in the same manner presumably used by 700,000 other businesses and nonprofit entities around the country. Any support for President Trump by certain of the church's members had nothing to do with the church's qualification for this broad-based pandemic relief program. Unquote. It's important to note that several other religious organizations also received these government loans. The church says that the criticism they're getting is absurd, and just another example of religious persecution. Here's Nancy Burnett's hot take on this. This church is under attack, hate crime. You talk about fucking hate crimes. This woman is somebody that's awaiting trial for beating a man because he was gay. Is that not a fucking hate crime? The woman Nancy Burnett is referring to is Brooke Covington, one of the ministers accused of slapping, punching, and choking Matthew Fenner because he was gay. I spoke with Matthew Fenner recently, and he tells me that he's been waiting eight years for his trial to begin. Why has it taken eight years? Well, that's a great question. I contacted District Attorney for Rutherford County, Ted Bell, and he has yet to respond to my emails. At this point, Brooke Covington may never face trial, but her husband, Kent Covington, wasn't so lucky. In April 2019, he was sentenced to 34 months in prison in order to pay back almost half a million dollars for his role in an unemployment fraud scheme involving one of his businesses. Prosecutors say that Covington laid off his employees in order to collect unemployment checks. You see, his business was struggling so he couldn't afford to pay his employees, so Kent Covington had a wonderful, awful idea. He could lay off his employees and they could continue to work. He can profit from his business, while Uncle Sam paid his employees up to $500 a week. It was brilliant, until he got caught. This is not Covington's first run-in with the law. In 1974, he was arrested for breaking and entering. It's no secret that the national media has pounced on Word of Faith Fellowship any chance it gets. But the Word of Faith Fellowship has also benefited from some positive press, specifically from the local papers. I've noticed a much more selective approach to reporting about the controversial church in Spindale. Nancy Burnett says that the positive press has a lot to do with Butch Malpey. But Butch Malpey insists that he is not a church spokesperson. I'm a, I'm a liaison. No, you're not. No, you're not a liaison. You're a controller. You are a part of the problem. You are what the cult is about. In May 2020... 
Pat Job, a columnist for the Daily Courier in Rutherford County, wrote an op-ed piece calling for more conversations and less heated exchanges. Pat Job even went as far as calling Butch Maltby a friend. So I gave Pat Job a call to talk about the media's softer approach to the Word of Faith Fellowship. You're definitely right that their approach to the media has evolved. And the person who's responsible for that is Butch Maltby. We had coffee. We've since become friends. Uh, he and I eat lunch together probably every two or three weeks. You start the article with saying that, you know, Butch Maltby has been, you know, written about and defended, defender of his church. And then you said something about, you know, you've become good friends, kind of like what you just told me now. But I, I realize now the right. complexity of that friendship. But, you know, on the other yeah. hand, you have uh, Matthew Fenner, who has been awaiting for a trial for seven plus years now. And it seems like the DA there is just dragging his feet. I guess the media's role should be to, to say, hey, this is still unresolved. What's going on? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and I think I think in part, Bush gets a lot of credit for that because Bush puts a lot of energy in reaching out to the media. My friendship with Bush has definitely colored my point of view. Pat Job is a member of the United Universalism Church. He's part of a pretty liberal congregation. And he says that the friendlier relationship with the Word of Faith Fellowship has led to some really positive changes for the community. Butch has arranged for me to meet with Jane now uh, three times. And, and Jane has attended, there's a clergy cohort going on in Rutherford County right now uh, between black and white ministers. And we're, we're really trying to build some momentum around confronting white supremacy and talking about talking about the racism that is still very real and very operational in our current culture. The more time you spend with people, the more, the more you, you are in conversation with people, the more you're in people's presence, the more nuanced the relationship becomes. There's another reporter in town who has really softened up on the Word of Faith Fellowship. Her name is Gail Clayton. Gail runs a blog called rccatalyst.com. I called Gail to talk shop. You know, reporter to reporter. How did you get started in this? Do you have a background in journalism? What's your professional experience? <laughs> um, I have a master's in religion. I have a mechanical engineering degree. And I wrote for the paper when I was in high school, <laughs> which was m many years ago. Gail Clayton is not from Rutherford County. In fact, she first noticed this part of North Carolina while looking outside of her airplane window. And I kept seeing this beautiful little lake just shining like a diamond in the foothills. And I said, you know, one day I'm going to live there. And I said, I don't know how you're ever going to figure out what that is. The lake Gail saw from the airplane was Lake Lure. It's where Dirty Dancing was filmed. Oh, okay? I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that was in North Carolina. Gail started her blog as a way to root out political corruption from this beautiful town. So I moved not knowing a soul here. And uh, I think there are very few people who don't know who I am now. Some of your most notable work, like the way I know you, is through your reporting on the Word of Faith Fellowship. When did you first find out about them? When did you start writing about them? <laughs> I first found 
out about them from a friend who was riding in my car and she pointed at someone and said, that's a wolf person. And I heard it as W-O-L-F. <laughs> yeah, like the, like the dog, the yeah. canine. WOLF, or W-O-F-F, is the acronym for Word of Faith Fellowship. It's how many people in and around Rutherford County used to refer to Jane Whaley's church. I looked at her and I said, what are you talking about, thinking we have werewolves in <laughs> Rutherford <laughs> County? And, uh, well, they do howl, right? Like, they've been known to howl a couple <laughs> times. Well, they, they do their form of wild prayer, yes. And it's been reported in neighborhood. Then I started hearing a little bit about this this church and a friend of mine says, oh, I know these people. They're very nice people. But anyway, I went to hear this speaker and the church sang for him. And it was so loud. I felt my body rocking back and forth. And I was suddenly aware that I wasn't thinking anymore that I was just into the music, like a big rock concert, and you stand in front of the speaker. After I left, I I was like, i got to know who these people are. They're very well-dressed, and that's not something you find anymore. And very well-dressed. They were very proper. And I met Jane Whaley in the bathroom of the basement of the Rutherford County courtroom. (laughs) (laughs) It's always an interesting place to meet someone. And one day I said to to Jane, because I do consider her a friend, I said, you know, if if all this wasn't happening, I said, you and I would probably be friends. And she kind of smiled and said, you're right, we might have been. And and so we struck up a acquaintance-like relationship. So you met Jane at the bathroom, and like you've already <laughs> know who they are at this point, right? You you've heard yeah. about Wolf. You you're familiar with um, some of the things that's been said about them. You you're going to the Matthew Fenner trials. I was reporting on it. It got a lot of attention, and like you, it was the sex. I called it the sexiest story around because. It brought readers into my blog. I just said, wow, people are really interested in this. Matthew's story of being basically kidnapped and strangled and hurt during blasting because he was gay, which was the storyline, was big news. Yeah. And what was this church's reaction to your coverage of them? (laughs) All of her associated pastors told her not to talk to me. (laughs) And I was writing some very inflammatory stories. I wrote what I heard in court. And all those inflammatory stories suddenly disappeared from Gail's blog. I wanted to know why. All your work on the Word of Faith, where are those articles? Do you mean my articles? I remember when I first started working on the Word of Faith, there was tons of articles. I read a lot of your coverage. Now when I look at your blog, I can't find them anymore. It it looks like it's been scrubbed. It it looks like the only articles available are positive articles. Well, I I will tell you. Other news media were, were 
taking my articles offline, taking my research and using them as their own. And I thought, no, if you want to write about Word of Faith, do your own research. Right. Did you take those down, though, because people weren't borrowing your documents? I hid them. They're still there, but you have to know me to get to them. (laughs) One of the reasons why I've been wanting to talk to you for so long is because, you know, you were doing such great work on the blog, and then all of a sudden, one day, boom, those articles disappeared. And at the same time, I started hearing rumors saying, oh, well, the reason why those articles disappear is because Gail is working with the Word of Faith. And now Butch Maltby is using them as, you know, as as their PR machine. And that that's what I hear. And so I hear that. And then I also see that your articles got scrubbed. And what happened to those articles? Um, yeah, there were some of the former members who accused me of having Word of Faith pay my taxes. They did not pay my taxes. I have to pay them myself. But it turns out that in 2017, Gail was behind on her property taxes. And the word on the street is that someone paid her taxes for her. I've seen an email from a paralegal stating that a person who works with Gail owed her money. So this person overpaid Gail's taxes. The whole thing is just weird. And right around this time is when all the negative articles started to disappear. So I asked Gail about this. They were late. I'm not good with bills. They were late. I paid them late. But evidently that triggered rumors. So maybe the taxes are just a coincidence. Then I asked Gail about her relationship with the church, specifically Butch Malpy. Butch and I became friends. He's a very good friend of mine. So we would have coffee, we would talk about religion, we'd talk about the community, and we'd talk about whatever else was going on. And it was an enjoyable once-a-week coffee. I asked Gail if this new friendship with Butch has affected her reporting. Does she still stand by her previous articles? Now, did something happen to these people? Yes. Was it manipulated into a story? Yes. My opinion. Okay, just to be clear, you're not saying that you're denying that any of the allegations are are wrong. You know, Matthew Fenner may or may not have had some sort of incident happening at the church. You're not denying that, right? I am not. I, I certainly believe Matthew experienced a very traumatic event and that others associated with him have as well. But was it because he was gay? That's what got the hook into the story with the media, Mm -hmm. was that the church was against gay people. There are gay people who go there, but it certainly got the media interest. Can the media be manipulated? Well, I think we all know the answer to that story. And and so going back to those accusations of you being manipulated by the church, do you feel like those are false accusations, or do you feel like there's some truth to that? Or I believe they are false allegations because you don't know me very well at I don't, all. I don't know you. You know what I write. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, but no one tells me what to do. <laughs> okay. I guess what yeah. my only question was, you hear all these things, and I, I got to be honest with you, Gil, like I don't buy the whole excuse of people were borrowing your stuff and that's why you took it down. 
Who? I mean, that's that's why you put it up to begin with. That's I could put up something and then somebody steals it. That's just the way it is, right? So I'm not buying that excuse. <laughs> like, why 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 take those articles down? I could clearly see them on the way back machine. I see them. The AP and Charlotte Observer file motion over gag order. Uh, investigation mm-hmm. continues on suspicious death. These were good articles that were, like you said in the beginning of our conversations, were impartial, right? You were just putting the truth out there. You were talking to both sides, but then all of a sudden you yes. took them down. I still don't understand why. I furnished a great number of documents, um, interviews, um, by giving them to Nancy Burnett, who took full credit for having obtained those. There is absolutely no credit to my publication. And, and that offends me. Yeah, and it, and it offends me too. I, I have to sympathize with that because that happens a lot. Yes, it does. <laughs> and that's a really annoying. <laughs> you know, it really is annoying. But it's not... A reason, to, like, why don't you take down any of your other stuff? Anybody could steal the other stuff. Anything you publish this week? Oh, I do. I, I mean, nothing ever disappears on the internet. Okay. No, I mean, it, it's archived. <laughs> and um, my server truly um, got bogged down, and I was beginning to have problems with um, accessing it. The site was just overloaded. So I go through about once a month and I just start, this story doesn't matter anymore. This story can be deleted. Weather warnings. (laughs) I take those down. Nobody complains. You've already said that Jane Whaley, you're friends with her. But, you know, you've also said that you're friends with Butch Maltby, you know, that you go out to coffee with him. And so, you know, how, as a journalist, how do you draw that line? How do you make sure that you're impartial? I have a group of people who don't mind giving me their opinion on what I'm doing. I do listen to them. Now, again, going back to no one tells me what to do, I still make up my own mind. I've been this way all of my life. So in the future, like, let's say, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, but let's say that something happens with the church. Would you be open to writing something that that is impartial but yet shows them in a bad light because right now yeah right now there's only three articles that i could find on your site that are from the word of faith and that's or word of faith related i didn't know that actually (laughs) (laughs) you have perused my site pretty thoroughly But I guess one one question, do you attend the Word of Faith Fellowship? I think I know the answer is no, but I just want to ask. Well, you're wrong. I'm wrong? I do not attend as a regular. It's certainly not during COVID, okay? I, have, I don't go anywhere during COVID. I wanted to know what the church was really like. The music is joyous. I found it warmer than any other church I had visited in this county. And a feeling of divine presence. I've explored a lot of things. Word of Faith is one of them. And and I don't regret having visited. 
Did it change my perspective? It made me question. And that's what I had gone there for. Is it really what everybody's saying? Or is there something else here? And if so, how do I know about it? Well, I visited it there. I understand that 100%. In fact, that's why I wanted to visit it. And I kind of walked away with the same impression. I was like, wait a minute. I was expecting one thing, and it turns out that it felt just like church. And like you said, the music was very overwhelming, and it, and it grabs you. Like you said it earlier today, it's almost like it suffocates your thoughts. It's so overwhelming that you can't even think about other things because it grabs you. It's so powerful, yeah. and I don't think people realize that until they, until they experience it themselves. My opinion of the church did change a little bit after I met with them, and everybody was genuinely nice. When we come back, I finally get a hold of Butch Malpy. The more I looked into the local media's relationship with the church, the more it made me want to talk with Butch Malpy. So I reached out to him again. It's now been almost a year since we last spoke. Hey, Butch, how's it going? It's Javier. Um, I, I know who you are. It, it, uh... <laughs> When it rang, it said Javier. Oh, good. I'm, I've made it to your contacts. How have you been, man? Everybody healthy on your side? Yeah, we're 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 healthy. I mean, in, in terms of my my immediate family and people that that I know, folks are healthy. You know, we we took very diligently in ways that might be perceived as not draconian, but we, we took very diligently, especially after we had a couple of folks that contracted COVID and died. Yeah. Three people dying of a hundred and I think it's, we're up to 191 in the County here in Rutherford County that have passed away. It's, it was those three, it was early. I didn't have to ask Butch about the safety precautions church member owned businesses were taking during the pandemic. He just came out and addressed it. Company I consult called Quick Clots, which, by the way, made the Charlotte Fast 50 for one of the 50 fastest growing private companies in the greater Charlotte area. And then also it made the Inc. 5000 as one of the 5,000 fastest growing private companies in the country. There were allegations that were made that, that uh, there were people that were forced to work with COVID, and it was just all spurious and untrue. So there's a lawsuit that's making its way, a business defamation lawsuit that's making its way through the Cleveland uh, County Court system. Butch is talking about the civil suit against Nancy Burnett and the other church critics. This is a business matter. It has nothing to do with a, with a church except that the people that have come after the business don't like the fact that one of the owners attends Word of Faith and still operates under this false assumption that businesses, private enterprises, are somehow owned by the church. And uh, the, the business partners of Quick Lots have said, we can't have our business defamed. I only had two questions about that. Yeah. One was their claim that the two stores owned by the Word of Faith members were bringing in canned food, expired canned food, to sell in order to be considered an, an essential business. Well, I can tell you directly that that's, that's just not the case on, on a number of different levels. There's always been a dried food section with everything must go. Uh, it's just the nature of the whole liquidation area. Food was part of the mix before... Prior, prior to COVID? COVID ever hitting. So that was not 
some opportunistic way of doing things. But here's the deal. The store hasn't even been around that long. I've personally never stepped foot in this store, so there's really no way for me to know if they sold canned goods prior to the pandemic. I asked Butch about their safety protocol. Did people have to rummage through bins? Uh, uh, the, well, uh, the, their, bin, their bin stores. Their, yeah. their, their bin stores. I asked Butch if he considers him a church spokesperson. The reality is, I'm a person in the pew. I'm not a. I'm not, a, uh, I'm not an employee of Word of Faith. I'm not dispatched by Word of Faith. I'm not an official anything with the church. I'm just a guy that had that God has used the church to be extremely influential in in helping facilitate a life change from being a miserable, bitter alcoholic three and a half years ago to finding hope and health and purpose in life. Jane Whaley said to me, "I'm not interested." And I wept when she said this, Javier. I'm not interested in what you can do for us. I'm interested in you getting your heart and your life right. Nobody in my life had ever said that before. No one. Everyone was always interested in what can you do for us. I was the one who started to say, you know what? I have always believed, even if it's with people with whom you have diametrically opposed views, dialogue is better than isolation. And so it wasn't that I was needing permission to go out into the community. And so motivated by my personal experience, which involved through the years dealing with the media, uh, in part, that's part of what we did, I just started to go out like a, a missionary, if you will, to the community and say, this is me, this is what God's doing in my life. Since I reported on the Word of Faith, something significant happened. The church has, in fact, become more media savvy, and I've noticed a notable change in the way the media interacts with the church. I, I would I would say this that how, I'm not I'm not being careful nor hedging. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to make sure I speak truth here. The church for so many years, Javier, had been a victim of what might be perceived as the schoolyard bully. That just the, the burden of proof in the presumption of innocence had totally shifted where if there was a bad weather day, it's a little bit hyperbolic. It's like, well, Word of Faith had something to do with that. Or there was a drive-by shooting. I wonder if they were involved. Or, you know, something bad happened at Walmart. Must have been a Word of Faith person. That's a little bit of an exaggeration. No, but you've but kind of become cool. the town's boogeyman, right? It, it's it really, 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 it's, it, you know, just like Jim Jones or just like the Scientologist or... You know, people use the word cult so loosely and without context. The conversation turned to Butch's relationship with the local blogger, Gail Clayton. Gail Clayton is a dear friend. She, I, she, she was an attacker of the, of, of, of the church. I didn't pursue a friendship with her to get her to stop attacking us. I pursued a, a friendship with her, Javier, because God put it on my heart. You're, you're to know her. You're, you're to know her. And we've had... We've had many, many coffees. Those positive relationships that you have built actually have had an impact on the reporting that's happening about the church. For example, Gail has completely scrubbed her site free of any negative word of faith articles. I didn't, I didn't even know that. That's interesting. I did, I did not know that. 
if you search her sites, the only articles that you'll find are either articles that might be negative towards the quote unquote attackers. And I asked her about that. I said, so why did you get rid of you all did. the, okay. I said, why did you get rid of all the word of faith articles? And she said that those popular, those articles were so popular, they were weighing down her server and that she was afraid people were stealing her source material. Which honestly, I didn't buy, but I, from a, from a couple hundred miles away, see it as somebody who was smitten by the church. And I don't know if there's any financial influence. I don't know what there is, but some, for some reason, those articles are gone. Javier, I can tell you, and, and look, you're, you're just going to have to, you, you don't have to do anything, but I will tell you as directly as I can say this to you. There is, there's never been a financial transaction with Gail. Never. That, that's, just, that's, just not, that's just not done. But I can absolutely, without equivocation and with a completely clear conscience, tell you there's never been a financial transaction with Gail Clayton. That, that would, that would uh, cut to the core of a central tenant of what everyone in the church has taught, which is that uh, lying is 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 a spiritual terminal illness but but another another explanation is that because of that relationship she has now that wall between a journalist and the subject has broken down because she tells she told me she's friends with jane whaley she's friends with you she has attended regularly but you know she seems Either way, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that there has been a significant outreach towards the media. I mean, the fact that you and I are talking now, I would have never imagined that I would have had such friendly dialogue with with the church. Initially, it was it was scary. It was combative. I asked Butch about the incident with a former member, Stephen Cordes. Remember, he was a young man who reportedly hid in Brooke Covington's third story closet with a pistol. I mean, the car was running. There was a loaded shotgun. There was a copy of John Huddle's book in the car. He had a loaded nine millimeter. He was high on meth and he went room to room. I mean, he, he is not stable, Javier. Uh, it, it, it gets us very concerned. But when people organize their lives around, I, I can't, I, I'm going to destroy this church and this group of people. There has to be some level of, of, of vigilance, and he proved to me that there's power in online incitement. He posted on Facebook, I don't know who Butch Maltby is, he wasn't there for the 20 years I was there, and if he knows what's good for him, he'll keep his mouth shut. That was two and a half days before he went to Brooke Covington's house. And was he beaten by some of the people in that house before the police arrived? He was, he, he was not beaten. Uh, he, he, was, he, he fought and was restrained by several people that were in the house. I was not there, Javier, but I know the people that were involved, and they are not, they are not people that come out looking for a bar fight yeah well i saw the mugshot. that's the only reason why i asked because steven yeah. obviously had a, a black eye he looked black and blue right i reached out to steven cordez about the incident he texted me and told me that he was currently being arrested and i said right now and he says yes this was months after the covington incident so he must have been in trouble for something else i happened to mention this to butch during our call to see if he knew anything about this 
And it was obvious that I surprised him with this news. Butch had no idea that Stephen Cordes was arrested a second time. And what do you think happened next? A few days later, the Daily Courier published a story on the front page of their newspaper. The headline read, Armed Breaking and Entry Assailant Facing Sexual Battery Charges. Hmm, I wonder how they got that tip. But all in all, I have to say that since my reporting a few years ago, I haven't heard any new abuse allegations. It's been pretty quiet, and that's a good thing. That's not to say it's not happening, I just don't know about it. But I really do believe the church is trying to be on their best behavior. I asked John Huddle about this. Last time we spoke, you know, you told me some pretty ominous things in terms of like the end of time prophecies. Do you still feel that there's that they're kind of, you know, just spearheading towards the apocalypse? I don't have any information that's current one way or the other. I I hear you on this. And I think that's good news. I mean, I I definitely feel like things have calmed down a little bit when it comes to the church. And I think it's because of all the unwanted attention. People really want to know what's going on. And they were concerned because of all the abuse allegations. So I think, if anything, it would be nice to report that things aren't... I don't know. You know, you don't never know what's happening behind the scenes. From, from, From the outside, it appears that the abuse, at least, has been contained a little bit, as far as we know. Well, the one thing that does lessen abuse on the inside is pressure from the outside. And so the fact that they've been a little more transparent and they've been out in the public gives me hope that the abuse can be settling down. I mean, I I, I believe that. I, I, I don't think that I have changed some basic notions of the dynamics of the group, but the story is evolving and it's maturing into a different level for me. I have hopes that things will change, but I I have an understanding that it may take different tactics, different means for change to come than I thought would work in the past. What do you think is the right approach now that you've had years to reflect on it? I would like to reestablish contact with my family and just on a low-key basis. But I, I don't have a, a way to absolutely do that. And my advice for someone, if they've got a member, or a family member inside a Word of Faith, do whatever you can to keep the contact and the communication open. Yeah, because sometimes antagonizing them actually separates you even further, right? It does. It yeah. does. That totally makes sense because I think the instinct is let's destroy this place, let's, let's bring them down. But that's not realistic, right? You can't no, as a no. right as a former member, not, not you can't America, do it, right? Not with it. Religious freedoms are guaranteed. So the best thing you can do is really stay connected somehow. You know, true. And I and I didn't do that. And do you reg- do you regret that? Do you regret being so vocal? I made the best decision I could at the time with the information I had and the the desires that I had. I may choose a different path now than I did 10 years ago or, wow, it's been almost 13 years, 12 and a half years ago now. But for what I knew at the time and where I, what I was, 
I don't regret that. Yeah, I mean, that's tough, you know? I hope one day you can talk to your family again. And like you said, maybe not, it will never be back to the way it was or the way you want it to be. But if if you could connect with them and see your grandkids, you know, uh, I bet that yeah. it rips you apart, you know? Yeah. I'm learning the longer I go, the less anger has actually benefited me. Okay, guys, that's it for this week. If you listen this far, that means that you really are a big fan of the show. So if you like what you hear, go check out the Pretend YouTube channel. I'm trying to build subscribers because I want to tell more stories on there. There's a lot of bonus content, live interviews. So go check it out. Just type in Pretend Podcast on YouTube. Also, find me on social media and say hi. I'd love to hear from you guys. I want to thank my editor, Logan Castrodale, for putting this episode together. Without her, I don't know how I could do it. Now, check out this promo for Corpus Delicti. It is a true crime podcast by my friend Jen and Lindsay, and they are doing an in-depth investigation that could save a man's life. Check out the promo. Here in Alabama, a man named Robin Rocky Myers sits on death row, where he's been since 1993 after being convicted of capital murder. His appeals have run out, and he's awaiting an execution date. There's just one major problem. Rocky might be innocent. Road to Redemption is the new multi-part miniseries on Corpus Delicti. We will take you through his story. The lack of evidence, witness tampering, likely jury bias, overridden sentence, being abandoned by his attorney, and a highly debated intellectual disability. You'll hear from his lawyer, investigator, and others involved in Rocky's fight. And that's where you come in. We need your help. Rocky's last hope? The governor of Alabama. Join us, Jen and Lindsay, the hosts of Corpus Delicti, as we aim to bring this case to her attention. Find Corpus Delicti on your favorite podcast app by searching C-O-R-P-U-S-D-E-L-I-C-T-I. Episodes release weekly, so join us on Tuesdays starting March 9th to hear Rocky's story. See you soon. Creative Babble.